Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight we're looking at Star Cops episode numero dos. Conversations with the dead. A freighter bound for Mars, the Daedalus, has a wee problem. Its engines have fired at the wrong time, and the freighter and crew are now on an uncorrectable course. The crew, while still alive, are considered dead. On the Charles de Gaulle, Nathan Spring isn't adapting well to zero gravity. At his age, he is unlikely to adapt. Box informs him that the only solution would be to find a place that has gravity. He starts scoping out offices on the moon. Back on Earth, Nathan's girlfriend and lingering personal plot complication, Lee, is watering the plants in his apartment. She receives a highly encrypted secure message from Nathan, although she never gets the chance to read it. The message says, your life is in danger. She doesn't need to read the message to know that, though, as a man breaks in and murders her in the apartment. Sometime later, Spring has returned to Earth, where he is interrogated by police inspector Colin Devis and Sergeant Corman. Devis seems to be more than a bit of a jerk, both to Spring and his assistant Corman. The computers tell him that this crime isn't special. Spring wants to conduct the investigation himself, but the idea is shot down by Devis. The message from Spring was a fake, but tracing it turns up as a dead end. On the moon, David Thoreau has gone to see StarCop's new digs. He's also investigating the Daedalus accident. Sentiment on the moon, which has never had any StarCop's, is decidedly cold. One crewman, Fox, is particularly opposed to them, but a colleague just says it's because he was formerly romantically involved with one of the Daedalus crew, and he's taking it poorly. Everything checks out on the Daedalus. No cause for the accident can be found. Though Fox is unwilling to talk, he makes an indication that he knows what the fault was on the Daedalus. David is beginning to think this may be a crime rather than an accident. On Earth, Spring has returned to his favorite restaurant to drown his sorrows. Sergeant Corman meets him there. She's an up-and-coming officer that's hungry to solve the case and show up Divas. She knows Spring has continued to investigate and hopes he's turned up something that she can use. Spring isn't particularly nice to her. On the moon, David interrogates Fox, demanding to know what he thought the fault was. Turns out he thinks the fault was that people allowed a couple in a relationship to pilot the freighter. It's against the regulations, but somehow people turned a blind eye or even aided in getting them assigned to the same flight. Spring receives a message from the killer, saying that he's next. Shortly thereafter, he gets a phone call. Someone claims to know who murdered Lee and wants to meet him in a park at night to convey the information. On the moon, the moon base administrator, Paton has had an idea. Part of the cargo 
were his experimental human cryogenic chambers. While they can't bring the ship back before the air runs out, if they could deflect the course so the Daedalus would eventually return, the crew could use the cryogenic suspension units. It's a risk, but it is their only chance. They prepare to try the daring measure. In the park, Spring encounters a reject from a Mad Max movie rollerblading in the park. True to form, he is senselessly violent to Spring and beats him up, despite Spring being armed and alert to the possibility of trouble. Just before the rollerblader does serious harm to Spring, the real killer murders him. The, the rollerblader, not, not Spring. The murderer, still hidden from Spring, taunts him, but is scared off when Sergeant Corman arrives and fires a couple of wayward shots at him. Back at his apartment, Davis chews out Spring for his stupidity. Spring agrees. But there's still something about this case he can't quite see. The computers have decided the case isn't worth pursuing and is being closed. Feeling useless, Spring decides to return to space. On the moon, the daring rescue may have worked. The crew have entered suspension, and an explosive charge has been used to blow out an airlock. The expelling air deflects the ship onto a course that will be retrievable in eight years' time. It remains to be seen if they will be able to be successfully revived or just be frozen corpses. Spring, now back in full star cop mode, has a chat with Paton. He knows Paton sabotaged the ship. Paton has been denied a permit to perform human tests on his suspension system. He arranged for his equipment to be on the ship, helped the unwitting pilots to be assigned together, I guess he's a bit of a romantic, programmed the anomalous engine burn, and then, when no one else thought of it, he had to suggest the idea of using the cryogenics. He's either committed murder, or, at the very least, the crew, if they return alive, can file civil charges. One problem, they haven't got any proof, but don't knows it. And so starts the awkward tenant-landlord relationship of the Star Cop's new HQ on the moon. Sergeant Corman turns up on the Charles de Gaulle. She's tracked the killer to the space station. She found her motive for the crime. The killer, John Smith, had a beef with the Star Cops on the moon, and now he's getting his revenge on the head of Star Cops. The killer has stolen a shuttle and is flying towards a controversial and secretive new American space station. Spring, David, and Corman hop in another shuttle and give chase. As they approach, the Americans blow up the killer, and Spring reveals he'd figured it out. Corman and the killer are both British Secret Service, and their mission was to get a look on board that space station. If the Star Cops, which are politically neutral by treaty, were forced to pursue a criminal onto the station, the Americans could complain, but they'd have nothing actionable. Spring was supposed to follow the killer onto the station, arrest him, and send him back to Earth for trial, where the killer and Corman would be able to report back what they had seen on the station. Spring tipped off the Americans and, so warned, they blew up the shuttle. Back on Earth, Devis knows he's been played, and while he knows he'll never get a conviction, he's going to make sure that light is shined on this nasty business. This will also end his career. He asked Spring for a new job. The end. All right, second episode of Star Cops. Uh, what you think of it overall? Uh, I liked it better than the first one. I, I think it was... Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I did. I did, too. Um, yeah. Didn't suffer from pilotitis. 
right? They didn't have to do as much. I think it's kind of interesting that they're still obviously setting up the show because here we are, second episode. Now we're bringing in another character. We're getting their headquarters. So they right. didn't have to cram quite as much pilotitis in the first one. Although it wasn't, you know, it was mostly about the machinations of getting um, Nathan off the planet. And I don't know that they did a great job of, you know, making us understand why the heck that all happened, really. But maybe they'll be brought up in another episode. I suspect. I suspect we haven't seen the end of this. Um, what I didn't particularly like in this one, and it's carrying over from the pilot, I find the two crime pattern awkward. Yeah. Um, and unlike the first one, which had a lot more parallels, this one doesn't. You know? It, it, I think we're supposed to think that it is, because Spring says it. It's like, oh, it's just like this. I should have been thinking here instead of there. But, I mean, that's that's mm -hmm. pretty that's pretty tenuous uh, connection between the two. Yeah. It, it was almost confusing at times. It's like, when Mary... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it just... Like, it's like they had two ideas for the show, but then they realized that neither one of them they could make stretch the entire episode. So they thought, well, hey, let's just combine them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I noticed it as I was writing my synopsis, and it was impossible to avoid it, mm -hmm. right? But doing it linearly, and I have occasionally, I have occasionally taken shows that are like this and split them into two completely different stories, a plot, B plot, and then do each plot linearly and then come back to it. But I decided I would go ahead and do this one the way it was in the show. And there's an awful lot of on the moon, so-and-so, back on Earth, so-and-so, on the moon, so-and-so, you know. Uh, right. Which makes for kind of annoying reading, frankly, <laughs> and I suppose listening. But it, it, it is what happened in the way it happened. They just bounce back and forth between these two uh, two stories. Let's talk about the space crime. Ooh, space crime. Space crime. One of the things that I read about Star Cops, and I'll tell you, since our last recording, which has been, mm -hmm. I don't know, two or three weeks, I think. Um, yeah. I have been trying to find more information about Star Cops. And it is one of the most unproductive Google searches <laughs> I, I've ever had. Uh, apparently, there may be a book coming out in 2020 uh, on Star Cops, an unofficial uh, history of the thing. But You said that uh, Big Finish are doing episodes. Yep. Yep. I think they're on their third box set now. Uh, I'm not going to listen to them until <laughs> uh, until I've actually listened to the show uh, all the way yeah, through. Yeah, that would probably be a good idea. Because I, I have a feeling that there's going to be some more things happening uh, yes. as as we go along here that, that probably will bear on bear on the big finish ones. But um, yeah, I, I just it, it hasn't been hasn't been very fruitful. So what was going on behind the scenes who knows but anyway but i one of the things that i heard detour was that they tried to kind of focus the criminal investigations on space crime and in crimes that are enabled because of the unique environment of space right yeah which i think i think this is a, a pretty good example of it 
Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's hard to make a you know to, to equate another type of of uh, story where uh, you know somebody has uh, you know rigged something to to look like it's going to kill somebody, but he's actually using it for his own nefarious reasons. Uh, you know, like a sailing ship. Well, still, that's not quite I'm not going to buy that. Uh, out in the desert somewhere, no, I'm going to buy that either. And you're going to stage a rescue, you know, right? No matter where it is, if if somebody put in motion that people were going to die, uh, you know, we would we would try to prevent that. And here, right, exactly. You know, it's kind of a it's kind of a no go. Just the physics says we can't get there, um, and so. It, it is a it is a terrible thing to contemplate. I know we we talked a little bit about it during Moonbase Three when I think in Castor and Pollux I believe was the episode. <laughs> if I'm pulling that one out of my memory correctly, where wow. where Tom Hill was wow, and I pulled that out too. His name, yeah, um, exactly. Oh, extra points if you can name the uh, the Russian cosmonaut. Please tell me it's Dmitri. I believe it is. <laughs> it has to be Dmitri. I mean, it's going to be think so. Ivanov sure. or uh, you know. I, I, it, it, it's, <laughs> we'll, we'll call it Dimitri anyway, but, yeah. um, uh, you know, our, when you have an accident in space, um, and you don't have the fuel and you don't have the air, you're going to die. And yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty serious. I do think it's very interesting that we never saw the astronauts. Well, you know, in a, uh, effort to cut costs. I think a couple of things happened on this. First, they did not have to build the interior of the spaceship that we saw. Okay, now that's just true. Just voiceover. And secondly, well, they went to the moon. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, I think yep. I think that was a perfectly reasonable... <laughs> uh, and, I, and I want to talk about that because there's some interesting yeah. aspects to that. But, um, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a very wise choice. Frankly, and mm -hmm. I, I like to think that they planned it that way all along. I would hope so too, actually. So the the um, the, the the crux of the crime here is that uh, that Patton uh, was not he's or Patton for us English speakers. Well, it's P A T O N. He's French. <laughs> I know Patton. Patton. Yeah, it's Patton. <laughs> <laughs> and although I don't recall him having an outrageous French accent, but uh, he had one. A little one, yeah. I guess it was it was probably more realistic than the broad stroke French accent that we would be used to here. But he is a researcher. In addition to being the administrator of the moon base, mm -hmm. he is also a biological uh, researcher. And yeah. he has been working on the holy grail of space flight, which is cryogenic suspension. Mm -hmm. uh, the investigation turns up that he had applied for... I think they said both animal and human trials and that he'd been turned down for both. Yes. They didn't. I'm not sure why they turned down the animal trials. You'd think. Well, maybe by the time. But this... I thought that's what they said, that they that he'd both been denied for both of those. So maybe it's because his system doesn't work. Oh, <laughs> you know, it could be something could be something incredibly mundane. Like you showed us the specifications and a hey, no, that way. Ain't no way that's going to work. Right. So, no. Come back when you have a working plan. Say, I know my plan will work. I will show you. <laughs> so like maybe more, in the know. future, uh, animals are people too. Uh, well, I suppose, since apparently they've <laughs> made Americans not. But that's a that's another <laughs> topic for discussion here. Um, <laughs> 
But it, it's I, it, it did raise a question for me about the ethics of cryogenics. I mean, in a way, he's right. That is sort of uh, the holy grail of interstellar space mm-hmm. flight. Whether or not, honestly, I don't know, whether or not scientists at NASA have ever sat around and said, yep, we got to come up with cryogenics, or whether that's just the fancy of science fiction writers for the last seven decades um i i don't know but you know if you if you say it is a real thing and not something designed for freezing a terminally ill person which is probably why that there how how do you test that well um you know obviously they start with animal trials and that seems you know a mouse or two here and there um, it, it doesn't seem that unreasonable to me. I mean, in, in, from my 2019, I realize that this is in the far, far flung year of 2027, yes. uh, where you know, other things have happened. But, and, and, but yeah, um, I, I don't know. I mean, is, is a, is a volunteer, is that an appropriate risk for a volunteer? Uh. If somebody said, yes, absolutely. I trust you, Dr. Paton, freeze me up. Wake me up in a year. Is that is that not good enough? Well, I mean, it, isn't that what isn't that what a test pilot does when he says, "Yeah, I'll get in that plane and I'll fly it, and if it blows up, yeah, all right." It's fine, definitely but... a gray area of research. Yeah, the, the test pilot, sure, you, you you don't want to kill him, so you put him in an airplane that you're pretty sure is going to fly, but you know he's going to be the one that proves it. Mm-hmm. And you know, if he crashes, well, that was his job is very unfortunate. You know, nobody goes to jail. But I think if, like, a doctor has some sort of treatment and you willfully sign up for it and you die, then the doctor's on the hook. I mean, if... It goes against their ethics of do no harm. Well, that, yes. But that is... uh, Yeah, I don't... don't I I mean, you can't go up to somebody and say, hey, will you shoot me, please? You know, if they do, then, well, they get, you know, homicide. Right, you can't... You can't. Uh, so, I mean, I can understand why you would need, I don't know, get some approval but, before you right. test it out. But but definitely. Well, I was say, but, but yet if you're, say, a magician and you're doing a, 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 a bullet catching trick with live rounds or something like that, or I don't know, something to do with a gun, and you get shot and die while you're practicing or on a show, is the assistant at fault? Uh, that is yeah. a good question. I think that's probably an episode of Columbo. Or Jonathan yeah, oh, Creek. Yeah. One yeah. of the two. Definitely Jonathan Creek. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. But what I, I think I can safely go out on a limb and say is that sabotaging a spacecraft and deliberately engineering a situation where desperate people <laughs> are going to die or volunteer for your procedure oh, yeah. probably is yeah, over that's, the line. That's wrong. That's wrong. I think that's definitely wrong and i think it's fascinating that they have no way to prove it right and eight years before they find out if it's murder and in the meantime he's the base commander of the base that they're right exactly it's gonna be interesting Um, i maybe he'll be gone Maybe they will find proof. Maybe he'll resign. Maybe, you know, just the fact that somebody knows will cause it to 
to change and he won't be the commander next time. But if he is the commander next time, you know, what kind of position does that put them in? Really? I mean, is 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 it going to be one where the commander is trying to sabotage or discredit the star cops for the next eight years or to throw up every roadblock he can to make their lives miserable? Or is it a situation where he's going to give them anything they want? I'm not in the hopes that, you know, it all blows over and they, because of course he believes those people will right. be alive. No, I think he's, he wouldn't last that eight years because if he's this eager to test his equipment and his theories, He's going to try it again sometime soon. Eight years is a long time to wait for your uh, your initial research to be proven. Well, I'm sure he'll apply mm -hmm. again. Or maybe there'll be another but... accident. Who knows? <laughs> and, and, and what do you... Okay, uh, back to the whole application process. All right, so I, I speculated maybe his system is crackpot, mm -hmm. but maybe it's not. Maybe it's great. Maybe it is the suspended animation system that we need. However, can we find out if he can't get a... No, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe he needs to do more research or he just did not convince the board, whoever they are, to, uh, you know, that his system needs, you know, some empirical proof that it works. You know, what, what standard of proof or evidence do they need before they would allow it to be tested on animals or human? I mean, I don't think you can test it on plants. No, probably not. Right? So if you can't test it on animals, you're, you're yeah. SOL. So Maybe it's I, the fact that it yeah. is a primary part of the freezing process is a very large Ziploc baggie or Tupperware. <laughs> Looks too much like a coffin. Next time, I yeah, rounded exactly, edges yeah. or something. Yeah. Forget the handles on the sides and, and the silver. Now, did he say something? Uh, did he say something at one point in this episode that they had not worked out the revival process yet? I don't remember that. Okay, I, I, I see. I was kind of. I've only watched it the once, and I was a little bit confused because when. When they initially revealed that there were cryogenic supplies on the ship, I just naturally assumed that this was a thing that was commonplace, or maybe not commonplace is the right word, but in other words, it's not something that would raise an eyebrow. I thought it was refrigeration. It was like equipment. maybe it's a, it's a. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking it was yeah. refrigeration equipment. Maybe it was hauling something to Mars, like cattle or something. And you know, it, it wasn't till later that. He says, well, you know, my equipment could be used to do this. And I'm I, even at that point, I'm thinking, so what are they going to do? Are they going to take the cows out and chuck them in the bin and let them die? I, <laughs> well, you really need reaction not, mass. <laughs> I, I was I was not getting uh, I was not quite getting what was happening until very, very close. Actually, I think I don't know that I even got it until spring explained it that. You know, what, why why are you sending this cryogenic equipment that hasn't been tested and hasn't got a purpose, can't be used on anything to Mars in the first place? Oh, they're going to need it someday. Yeah. Nobody knew it was coming. Yeah, well, that was revealed <laughs> later. I think it was when when Fox... Yeah, that was about when I figured out that that they were empty. Yeah. <laughs> I up to that I point. I think when Fox said uh, something to the effect of, it's like your pods were 
designed for the Daedalus. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, they were. Yeah, I guess that's. I guess there was a yeah. line to that effect. I, I just it it took me a while for me to get to get past the idea that the pods weren't carrying no. <laughs> something in them. The pods were the right. cargo, you know, and that was that was uh, retarding me from figuring out what was going on in this story or, or understanding the nefarious purpose right. of it. Because at, when he said there was a lot of cryogenics equipment on board, you know, David kind of, his eyes kind of looked up and there was that sort of, ha ha, a clue mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing on his face. And I'm like, why is that a clue? I don't get it. And then I'm missing it. So, all right. The earth crime. So, I think we may have asked last time whether or not uh, uh, Spring was going to be carrying on a long-distance relationship <laughs> from, with his long-suffering uh, girlfriend, Lee. And I think the answer to this question has now been definitively answered. It, yeah, that's a no. No. That's a no. She, She'll you, be well, who knows? Maybe in her mind. There is, there is something very... First off, I have noticed a tendency... And and I'm not necessarily saying that it is an undeserved attitude in the world at some level. I really seem to hate the Americans. Yes, I've noticed that. And the Russians. But but I feel like, you know, they're really yeah, disliked. They disdain the for the Americans. You know, the butt of many jokes, I'm sure. Uh, uh-huh. so it was 1987. Um, they even made comments about the Russians and the Americans during the interview for Nathan Spring earlier about how they didn't even bother to show up they don't care right. um something to that effect and he, here we have uh, a very very heavy-handed and frankly i was getting bored with it but i will admit i didn't see the tie-in coming i thought it was just you know world building static yes. yeah when they were doing that um, the, the news bit about the unknown space station yeah over and yeah. over and the protests and the, the Americans are like, no, no, it's civilian. It's just, it's just secret and we won't let you on right. board, but it's, it's civilian. Don't worry. It's not, it's for it's research not military at all. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. for, it's for secret, secret research. Yeah. And that was very heavy handed, but I would say, and, and okay, let's, let's say that the Americans are building weapons up there or putting weapons up there in violation of treaty. That's nasty. The British are worse. <laughs> British Secret Service are worse. Oh yeah, definitely in this case. I mean, I, I get the whole, I get the whole fantasy of you know James Bond 007, license to kill in the line of duty, right? But the people he kills are generally speaking what you would generally call bad guys, yes. or at least Russians, yeah. and. Uh, <sighs> Or, or Spectre mm-hmm. agents. And, and here, British Secret Service murdered two innocent people. Yeah, definitely. Utterly unconnected innocent people to achieve a strategic spying result. Yeah, and that was the best idea they had? Oh, wow. I'd like to see, hear some of the bad ones. <laughs> Yeah, how, how about this one? Um, they go up to the Charles de Gaulle, and they uh, they steal a shuttle, mm-hmm. and they fly to the American space station and land there. Yeah, and and, uh, and like request political asylum or something like that. Yeah, or even not say anything. Well, okay, 
If they stole a shuttle, wouldn't the Star Cop still have to go after yes, them? Yes, they would. And then wouldn't the same scenario play Pretty out much. without the murders? Yes, but without all the knifey-knifey stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, kind of, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. So, I, I mean, they're the, the authors are portraying the British as pretty darn nasty too which could just be a general anti-government uh sentiment with with the writers but yeah it was i'm not quite sure where they're going with that but i mean that one really that one really was it makes you wonder though do do we and i'll you know i'll include the british with the americans here um uh, uh, we're we're the quote unquote good guys in the world and supposedly have been. And I know that the CIA has certainly been mixed up in some pretty shady stuff, Mm -hmm. but would they kill an innocent woman to, to emotionally unstable somebody so that they could manipulate them into doing a job? I mean, is the secret service go that far? Um, would it make a difference if, if, you know, that had been in world war two and somebody had say, uh, murdered, uh, murdered Helga at Stalag 13 to, you know, to get, uh, Colonel Klink all upset right. to, to do so, you know, because then there's all there, the Nazis. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. It, 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 it did raise, it, it made me, it made me go, huh, eh, that's a different take on the secret service. Yeah. I'd expect that from the Russians, the Soviets, I should say. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely how they're portrayed in, in movies and whatnot. Yeah. Media. Yeah. So maybe that's the intent to portray us no different from. And when I say us, in this case, I am talking about British writers referring to us, them, us, not us, Americans, us. But you yes, know what yeah, I mean? They're their own countrymen. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That was that was weird. Let's talk about Box. Oh, yes. A little bit. Uh, the, uh, so there was two things. The secret agent was very keen on getting Box at one brief moment. Yeah, just for a yeah. second. You'd think they'd have their own. Exactly. Q Branch should just be able to whip that up for them. Yeah. Or they could steal but, it from the um, Americans. And she didn't try too terribly hard to get it. She just asked for it and then, you know, got a polite no and then, yeah. okay. Maybe that'll be the next operation. I thought one thing that was very interesting about the way Box is portrayed was that it's listening to Calder and David's conversation about his situation. And when basically when Calder tells him to get things rolling, there is that bit where it's like, well, you know, you're going to need like a shuttle that can handle one six gravity and stuff like that. And so wait, wait, that thing can take care of that. It was listening to us. It it's smart enough. I, we're not there yet, but are we getting there? Well, uh, kind of. I mean, in many households, if you say "Hey Google" or "Alexa," followed by a command, it happens. So yeah, kind of. So we're up to that stage, but not to the point where you know. Let's say I said, uh, "Make you know, make a reservation for dinner," and it picks your favorite restaurant, contacts the people. Um, you know, I know Google's working on the whole assistant version where you can, where it can call up restaurants and do things like that. But I mean, this is, this was taking independent thought 
and going, well, if they needed office space on the moon, then they would have to have people on the moon. And to get on and off the moon, they'll need a shuttle, but they can't use the one they got because they'll right. need one that could go to the moon and da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, I, I just – I think it's interesting that they portrayed – it does kind of remind me of an Apple ad from many, many years. Not even an ad. It was a concept video that they put together. Oh, like the Intelligent House? I think I remember that one. Yeah, it wasn't – I don't think it was actually the house. I think it actually was a device in the guy's uh, study, but it was doing just that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, that would be about the same time this came out. So you almost wonder if maybe they saw that and said, in the future. The other thing, and this was considering how sophisticated it is, it was an idiot when it came to Lee. Said, yeah. oh, book me a restaurant at the Lotus Garden and said, oh, do you want me to call Lee? No, she's dead. Oh, do you want me to delete everything you know about her? <laughs> no, let's not do that. Well, then I'm going to keep suggesting you take her to dinner. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of odd. What? Now, it does raise a, a yet another interesting question. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, where things stand with you and family and whatnot, but, you know, my father died a few years ago i still have emails from him oh, and stuff yeah. i think he's still in my address book well, my um, grandmother is too and she passed away a number of years ago as well and you know when you have all that information in there does is the computer when they get to the point where they are sentiently that's probably the wrong word for it, but in, it, using art of ai yeah. to to kind of this stuff will they understand that will they know what to do with that sort of thing Will, you know, suddenly it automatically send out a birthday greeting to him for you when it gets to that point. I, it, it it seems like there ought to be like a, oh, I don't know, a little deceased flag. Right, exactly. It's like, I don't want to delete this stuff. It would be something that would come up more than you'd think because, say, if, if you're in relationships and you're, I, you break drunk. up with a person, you know, you don't want to be inviting it's them def- to dinner. There is that, yeah. too. Perhaps not as grim, exactly. But uh, but they're but, pretty much out of your life. Well, perhaps more grim in some oh, ways. Yeah, depends on who it is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, it, it 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 seems so. It seems so odd that the writer didn't have a middle ground concept there. I, I think that was it was just like oh, yeah, that was uh, showing that uh, spring is not, you know, over it. Right. Ready to move exactly. on. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Um, fair enough. But I, I, yeah, I don't know. It was it was odd. But Box is an interesting device. Mm-hmm. I think it did. It probably showed the only genuine emotion that we got out of uh, Spring in this episode was when he, that look on his face when he was crying at that yeah. point too. I think. Um. So yeah, I, I don't. I don't think much of his acting. Oh, no. <laughs> to be fair. I have not seen a lot of good acting on this series, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't know what the director was saying, but I, I think he got everybody involved in it and says, okay, now I want you to play your parts. Like you have very poor interpersonal skills. Got that? Just be pissy <laughs> to everybody all the time and really short. Yes. And just terse yes. and just pissed off all the time. Got it? Good. All the time. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, really annoying. I, I, it is. That that is not a that is not a likable quality of any of the people uh in this. David is the most likable of the bunch, and even he is 
not the most tactful of human beings I've ever right. Met. He he's got more uh, more width to his acting skills than other people on the show. I'm afraid. Yeah, and he's you know barely you know, a two lane two lane highway. So here here's a weird one. Um, I am kind of looking forward to hearing some of the big finish star cops after we're done here, <laughs> whether, whether ultimately we like the show or not, I'll probably listen to them for, for two reasons. Uh, one is just to see, just like they did with the sixth doctor and correcting so many of the problems that were afflicting his era. I'd like to see if they, you know, I don't know, humanize him a little bit or, or flesh him out or whatever. I'm, I'm interested in that. And the other thing is the, this actor, David Calder, he sounds to my ear so much like Gareth Thomas, who played Blake on Blake Seven. <laughs> I close my eyes when that guy's talking, and I hear Blake, huh. who passed recently, well, a couple of years ago, and now they've got this guy working at Big Finish. I'm wondering if he still sounds like him as an old man. Huh. <clears throat> who knows? They might they might have their actor there for replacing him when the time comes for more Blake Seven hmm. stories, but um, anyway, that's just a completely tangential and irrelevant aside. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, I loved in a cringy way the password sequence oh, with Lee. Oh man, that oh jeez, <laughs> uh, I have on my notes uh, annoying security on her message that just doesn't even begin to describe it's that watching that is what I think regular people think of when they have to type just one password in to a computer account. I, I know I, I get a, I get a kick out of it when they do it on, on Star Trek next generation too. It's like authorization code required Picard two, four, seven, one, eight. Like everyone in the room just exactly. heard that. <laughs> Everyone knows your password, Picard. Yeah, now you're going to have to change it on all the systems. Jeez. Because you only have one. Well, it's a voice print system. Well, if it's a voice print system, why do you have to give the password? Is that two-factor authentication? (laughs) And again, it's still useless because if everyone knows it, if they can fake your voice print and they all know your password, then... And I thought thought it was funny because you have to give your code and she rattles off this thing. Her ID number. Which sounds suitably like, you know. And then it goes, now I'm going to need you to put in your authorization code. And she's like, okay, that's the net, the net, the net, the net. And now I'm going to need you because it's secure. I'm going to need you to put in your uh, approval pin or something. Yeah. And that one she had to type. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> she, could, she went over to that one. It's like, type that one last one. And I'm like, well, at least two factor. Yeah. Sort of. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Not kind of, yeah. At least they don't know what the third one is. But what, what was the purpose of the first two? I'm not sure. Uh, apparently, you I need guess. at least one of them to uh, spoof an account. Ah, <laughs> it was, it was, it was funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw that and I was like, oh yeah, well they missed the boat on that one. Oh wait, some people would say no. Huh, all right, you know where it comes to uh, inadvertently predicting the future. If if you gave voice command control to all computers that worked reliably on all input fields, you know, sitting at the office, oh, yeah. that you could be listening to people going, username, 
M I S P I G password L X uppercase P exactly left brace yeah. right brace tilde mm-hmm. carrot fourteen seven oh yeah all the time <laughs> yep and people would be writing it down at the next station yep. and don't bother to try it that's not my real password and uh, just just FYI. <laughs> people that's, that's none of my passwords as far as i know because i don't know what my passwords are and uh <laughs> yay password managers that's right but uh okay uh in our nod back to castor and pollux we do have the whole sequence where the freighter pilots talk about ending it all early yeah they sure do seem big on that uh, it builds over there builds drama suspense spaces Space is a place where you're going to have to go off yourself someday. Yep, exactly. <laughs> now, and we can roll this. We can roll a couple things together. The Moonsies really didn't like the Star Cops, did they? No, no. I got the impression they really didn't uh, want them around. It's you know too much law. And they've the never old had West. any. Yeah. So that's my yeah. Why? Why do you not want the law? Even mm. in the old West, they had a marshal. Yep. They had. Sheriffs. And uh, as far as I know, as far as I know, most towns would reach a a certain size, let's say. And, you know, just as a self-organizing collective, they would you know, appoint somebody have to, to appoint yeah. somebody to kind of do that stuff. To maintain the peace. Yep. But it sounds like the Moonsies don't have anything like that. They'd like no star cops. Keep them away. We're doing just fine. But, you know, what is it? Is it independence? It, is it that they are they themselves are criminal and yeah. they don't want anybody? Is it the mob? Or is it, do they think they never do anything wrong here? Yeah, exactly. I think it's the mob. <laughs> the moon is run by the mob. Yeah. Or the Yakuza. Or, or is it, a, is it a, like a physical independence thing? In other words, we are the moon. You are an international treaty organization and... We want nothing to do with you, just like we don't have anything to do with the Americans, and we don't have anything to do with the Russians, and we don't have anything to do with the British, because they'll kill people just for their silly secrets. And well, I think the folks on the moon should remember where their food comes from, and their air, and probably most of the raw materials, before they get a little bit too independent. Too uppity? Yeah. 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 And, you know, and that's a good point to raise. It's like, is it really realistic to believe that the people on the moon would be that bloody-minded independent? I, I don't it know. might happen only after like the first good harvest of moon food uh, came through, you know that sort of stuff. But even then, you know it's it takes it takes a long time to become self sufficient exactly, as a colony. A very and especially when you know there's a near total vacuum outside your windows. And there's also another uh, aspect of it uh, that does not. I think Moonbase Three did a fair job of it. Two, when you, as a colonial power, the British, mm-hmm. say, for example, when they set up colonies, they went to exploit. Yes. I hope I'm not shocking anybody with that one. It wasn't an altruistic thing. I mean, Maybe they some did people... go there to uh, bring religion to the heathens. What? <laughs> well, that was part of it. I mean, that, I think that was... I think that was missionaries going along with it, but no, that's not the political reason for it. Um, that's just, you know, to get the church's uh, uh, 
blessing, as it were. But, you know, it's it's all about resources and land mm -hmm. and and wealth. It's always been about that. All right, because the uh... moon base three um, is a money sink. Any moon colony, as far as the foreseeable future, is a money sink. Oh, it yeah. is not going to be producing wealth to uh, in in any meaningful quantities or any meaningful uh, amounts yeah. back to the Earth for a very very long time. Yeah, I liked Moon there Base no Three because of ground. that. That was pretty cool. I thought. And so you can't get this, well, you know, they need our dilithium crystals, so they're going to send us food. Right. And if they don't send us food, we can trade with somebody else. <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah. So uh, it, it is a different situation. The, the, the parallel of colonies is not really, it's more of a research outpost yeah. as far as I can tell. And that's a different animal. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll find out that there's like, you know, seven or 8,000 people living on the moon and, and they do have farms and aquaculture and who knows what else out there. I believe that I read that per the premise of the show, there's about 6,000 people living in space total. Oh, okay. Uh, I could be wrong on that. And of course my source could be wrong because there are no reliable sources for star cops. Right. I couldn't find an Invex. You know, I figured probably there's a Starburst magazine somewhere with an article on Star Cops. <laughs> couldn't find it. Huh. Uh, probably isn't one in Starlog. Uh, is a magazine I've been getting lately. Infinity magazine. Couldn't find one there. Hmm. Um, yeah, I I just I have turned up nothing so far. Uh, that's well, if you could find an old copy of Empire, that might have something in there. Yeah, it's just it, it's. It's rough, so we're going to have to just take what we get out of the show. I want to... I guess we've probably talked on the structure of... Well, it's not really the structure, but the Star Cops themselves. Obviously, they seem to be a necessary evil that nobody wants. Is that kind of... <laughs> that kind of be yeah. the, yeah, the so attitude that we're getting there? Volunteer um, organization, which I think is kind of course, odd, but why not? Well, Calder is trying to overcome that. Well, that's... You mean Spring. Okay. Spring, yeah. Well, Calder, <laughs> whichever. Uh, Wrong series. I think that that's probably also consistent with the Old West, right? That that autonomous oh, yeah. collective yeah, town. Yeah, first. The, who's volunteering to do the job? Right. And you know what 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 does he get out of it? Well, maybe you know maybe they bring him food or something, right? So he doesn't have to farm his land right. or whatever. But yeah, it, it's. Uh, and, you know, there's not much crime, so mm -hmm. no big deal. It, it, yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I'd be interested. In, and obviously, he's trying to make it full-time. He's full-time. Right. I presume... Uh, well, okay, spoilers. I'm sure Divas is back in in Oh, yeah. Future. Yeah. Yeah, they need somebody to be, uh, uh, you know... Fat, I, racist, obnoxious <laughs> cop. I want to say the muscle, but I don't know if that would be quite it. But yeah, they need to have somebody that's that fits that role. I, I don't know a, a good good name for it, but I you'd you'd know it when you saw it. Yeah, you'd like to say good cop, bad cop. He'd be the bad cop. But are there any good cops so far? Well, <laughs> they're all jerks. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> David maybe he could be the good cop. Davis could be the bad cop. Maybe. Thump. Also, you say the muscle. Spring obviously is not the muscle. <laughs> no. No, 
He's... I have never seen a more pathetic oh. example of uh, bad directing, acting, stunt coordinating, police work ever. <laughs> yeah, that was... When, when he is beat up by the, by the Mad Max reject. He just spun around a few times and it totally incapacitates him. It's amazing. A cop, a trained <laughs> yes. cop yes. with a gun. Yes, that's even stranger. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which, by the way, uh, that pistol is remarkably similar to the style from the movie Blade Runner. Well, this is um, just a couple years after 1987. Yeah. After Blade Runner. Yep. I don't remember them being white. No, they Blade weren't. Runner. But the general shape was was pretty darn close. Well. Which I thought, oh, that's kind of cute. And maybe, you know. Could be leftovers from a prop department somewhere. Yeah, maybe they were always difficult to come across, though. There weren't too many uh, Blade Runner pistol props made. Well, that's because they, after the movie, then they got moved over to Starcop. <laughs> and, and painted. They're and... so painted. They're so incompetent using them, they broke them all. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. Who knows? Pretty awful. But no, in the prop world, they were rather uh, highly prized because there were never really any decent pictures of them. You know, they were in the hands of private people who didn't want them out, you know, anybody seeing them and stuff. So I, I will, I will in before somebody says it uh, mm -hmm. in defense of Calder, uh, spring. spring <laughs> uh, why did they have to hire an actor with the same name as the main character, the previous know. show that it's obviously, uh, <laughs> you know, um, spring. Yeah. Maybe he's so rubbish in a fight because he's been in space for a while. Oh Maybe. boy. I think if that I were know. the case, he'd have to use a cane to walk around or crutches or in a wheelchair or something like that. Yeah. And, and, and really, are we supposed to believe that a guy dressed up in a Mad Max reject outfit on rollerblades on roller just happened yeah. running around the park at night? I mean, how freaking 80s can you get? Yeah, that is It's like, wow, that's awesome. And I hate to say it, uh, when when Spring was trying to get up and they started playing, you know, the, the woozy music, that's the first uh -huh. time that the uh, the soundtrack actually sounded good. <laughs> so that slowed down <laughs> noise. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> Not the actual I, um... music for the fight. No, just the, the, the drunken music. I think stuff. I'm. I think I mentioned that uh, a a magazine in yep. Britain that's why I brought it up. <laughs> the funny thing is, is that I intentionally was thinking about that watching this episode, and I still only heard the music in a few places, and uh, it didn't bother me that much. It sounded very. Uh, it, it sounded quite a bit like John Carpenter's music, maybe not as polished. But it had that same 80s electronic yeah. feel. And honestly, it's light years better than all of the electronic music done in Doctor Who, oh. starting with a John Nathan Turner error. You know, uh, when, during the fight scene, I was thinking, well, I feel like I'm listening to Delta and the Bannerman again. Boy. Whew. Oh, yeah. Boy, I don't think it was that bad, but. Uh, <laughs> Of course, you know, they have a, well, did they have a few years? No, it's got to be, it's the same instrumentation. It'll be the same kind of instrumentation. Yeah, the same synthesizer with the same samples. 
I it just you know I I listen to it and it's like yeah it's not great but seriously one of the fifty worst things in science fiction ever come on well no. obviously they're talking about the theme music and yeah that is bad see I don't mind it oh I do I, have to I mean no it. I I it's not like gonna rush out go I love <laughs> yeah. this but I mean it's I like the moody blues it sounds a it sounds very much like the Moody Blues mm -hmm. because lead singer. And yeah, exactly. It just, it sh you know, it's like a, it's like a B side to a good Moody Moody Blues <laughs> song. You know, it's it's not it's not the good one. It's one that you fill the album with, mm -hmm. but it has that. It's like, eh, and I can it's, tolerate it. It's the it. one that the drummer liked, so you know they they made him happy. Yeah. They put him on the B side. I, I don't claw my eyes out or anything listening to it, but it just. Yeah, it's like, and it's totally inappropriate for the show. But then, look at Enterprise, Star mm -hmm. Trek Enterprise. Yeah, what were they thinking? I don't know. You know, it's just, it's just uh, not... obviously somebody had seen Star Cops and thought, "Oh, that's awesome. That's what we want. That was amazing." <laughs> it's like it's yeah. so different. Um, yeah. I I don't know that I have anything uh, else to add on the show. I mean, we could talk about Colin Davis. A little bit, but I think we already did. He's yeah. a jerk. Yeah, pretty much. Just a big old walking cliche. Yep. Not that, not that spring isn't. Well, a little bit less, but yeah. A little still. less, but yeah. Yeah. And if the show had run eight years, would those people come back? Don't know. Will Big Finish address this issue? Oh, <laughs> that actually would be pretty darn cool. No, they, they, they started making new stories. They never bothered to listen to the original. So. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. I have no idea. Anyway. <laughs> um, let's see. I was impressed with the, the makeup on uh, Spring. Uh, they actually got his eye to look all bloody. I mean, the actual eye. Like they put red eye drops in his eye or something like that. Oh. That was pretty good. It's I hard to assume they actually punched him. Well, that could be it too, you know. They do things the old-fashioned way there. It's a lot cheaper too. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I'm going to have to hit whack. You. Yeah. <laughs> but but I've got a trained stuntman to do it. So Exactly. Exactly. Jeez. You get a BAFTA for this. Whack. Yeah. Or would that be BAFTA? Yeah, Ooh. <laughs> with a big with a big uh word written on the screen in a balloon box with exactly. a spiky BAFTA. <laughs> okay, I think we're done with this. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I do not off the top of my head know what the name of the next episode is. Uh, something with artificial intelligence. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it, it matters not because it doesn't matter what its title is. We will be listening to it and watching it and adding it to the podcast collection. So um, doesn't care, don't care what its name was. John, thank you for joining me. Hey, you're welcome. Listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time. On Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. 
This has been a Lone Locust production.